You're listening to the Off the Line Soccer Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Off the Line. My name's Jack. Today I'm joined by Jake and Aiden. Uh, how are you guys doing? Hey, Jack. Hey, Aiden. I'm doing good. Uh, it's just been a mixed bag watching United this week. Obviously, we'll get into it later. Uh, but yes, yeah, always interesting just to watch the European games and just. Uh, very happy back at school and everything's going good. Aiden, how are you doing? You're lying. You're not happy to be back at school. I don't want to hear that because I'm off right now on <laughs> reading week and it's absolutely amazing. Just watching a lot of football and enjoying my time off. Very happy. How are you, Jack? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, just watching the games, working. And like you guys said, we'll, we'll touch on the Manchester United games. We'll touch on the Manchester Derby that took place this weekend uh, the the Europa League game against AC Milan that just took place a couple hours ago. Uh, we'll go over the some of the Premier League games from this weekend, including Everton's game against Chelsea, Fulham with a big three points against Liverpool at Anfield. Uh, we'll touch on West Ham again, uh, Spurs' current form and somewhat of a change in style from Jose Mourinho. And then, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what else. We might touch on some Champions League stuff at the very end. But I guess we'll start off. Jake, I'll come to you first. United, you guys are obviously going to be happy with this result. Manchester United beating Manchester City 2-0 in the Manchester Derby. Uh, we're going reactions to that. Yeah, definitely a good win. Um, I, could, I could also definitely say it was unexpected um because i hate to admit it but i kind of went into the game like looking at the table like oh after after we don't get any points from this game or we notch up another game it's going to be a tight race for for the top four which obviously it still might be but definitely definitely useful to get the the three points there it's the game started off really well i think united won the penalty within 34 seconds and obviously it was deserved i don't want to hear any jokes or memes or anything it was a deserved penalty um and, and yeah just united they played a really good game um I'm just going to skip to the other goal real quick. Luke Shaw, that was, I mean, that was not the same Luke Shaw that me and Aiden were discussing this uh, earlier today during the United game. That was not the same Luke Shaw from even earlier in the season. Um, like we, even last season when he started playing left center back in some of the big games, you I, you would never have thought Luke Shaw would be able to like r- run up the field. It's as basic as that sounds. Like that that's kind of the way I, we looked at it. But obviously, Tellez has brought the best out of him. Uh, I have to give credit to Solskjaer as well. He's he's obviously done some work with him as well. Um, and yeah, for that goal, it was just a nice nice team move. Started from Dean Henderson, just throwing it out. And Luke Shaw just gets past uh, Jao Cancelo, and, and, and he can't recover and just keeps going. Plays a nice one-two with Rashford and, and slots in the bottom corner. It was a really good finish. So um, yeah, it was nice. Luke Shaw's only his 30th, I believe. Like it's his 30th shot on target ever in the Premier League. So that's a, a decent way to, to keep it going. But yeah, it was just a really good performance. Like United, the players had had like effort and desire throughout the whole game. It looked like they were kind of invigorated. Like obviously, uh having having had like the, the Milan game today, you can kind of say that that didn't follow through. So who knows? But anyway, it, it was good on the day. They were just very proactive. Like like I mentioned, just Dean Henderson throwing the ball out and coming up for challenges where De Gea, we've seen in recent years, he he really wouldn't have. So <clears throat> it makes a big difference. Um just kind of instills like more confidence in us watching to be honest and and um just not playing it safe when he has the ball something De Gea kind of does he'll just pass it sideways to Maguire Lindelof whichever way um even if the pressure's on and me and Aiden we always complain about how United always attract pressure when they try and play out but Henderson was not exactly line breaking passes but I guess more adventurous than than De Gea's passes have been anyway 
Um, and yeah, just it, it was just nice. Everyone really put in a shift. Like uh, today, he didn't play well at all, but on on Sunday against City, uh, Martial played really really well. He was working hard and he was running, which is kind of a surprise, but it, it was nice to see. He had some good link up play too, just mostly coming short. We know he doesn't run in behind too much, but he was just coming short um, and just linking the play, just a little layoff. So it was nice. Just getting other people involved, obviously uh, won the penalty right at, this, right at the start of the game, just running into the box and, and inviting the challenge from uh, Gabriel Jesus. Um, and yeah, just, it was nice to see too. They, the, the players were defensively committed to, you saw Rashford right before he got subbed off, he was injured, but he still made the, I don't know, he caught up like 30 yards on, I think it was Mahrez to, to tackle him when City were breaking forward on the counterattack. So it was just nice to see the players were obviously invested in the game. Um, it's just unfortunate, like I mentioned, that Rashford has to be injured, but he apparently he's supposed to be back by next week's game. Um, he's a doubt for West Ham, and, and his expected return date is against for the second leg against uh, Milan in the Europa League. So that would definitely be a boost. Uh, and it, it was nice to see too near the end of the game, Ole and, and Pep kind of going at it. It was nice to see, uh, nice to see Solskjaer with some fire in him. So that, that was just, just, just really completed the whole game for me. But just, just the last thing I kind of want to touch on. There's, there's kind of signs of, of improvement from United, like in these big, big games. Like obviously, I mentioned just last week, so I'm not flip flopping, but. I mentioned last week how United haven't had a good record at all versus the big six this season or the traditional big six where they've kind of like drawn or, or drawn almost every single game. I think nil nil and, and lost a couple of them and obviously just beat city here, but it's definitely a sign of improvement last year, considering every big game last year. Sure. We got the results, but United would, would switch to a back five and, and, and this season we're getting draws, you know, playing a back four, playing like the way Solskjaer wants to play. He's being less safe and, and teaching like the team how to play against the big teams. So I think that was interesting instead of just being like reactive and, and just packing like the defense to try and stop the opponents going forward. So he's just going going up in, in leaps and bounds with this team. Even if you can't really, if you just looked at the results, you wouldn't see the progression. But I definitely think there's progress there because last year you wouldn't have ever imagined United playing a back four against a team like City. So um just just yeah just little signs of progress are very good and and obviously really happy with the three points against city it's always nice to to win a game like that which is kind of an obvious statement but um yeah just pretty much uh very very happy with with the result and the performance uh aid what do you think about this game yeah you covered a lot of the base as well there just uh surprised that united took their chances in the few chances that they did have that's unusual usually they need several chances to score so penalty I mean that's going to be a goal but Luke Shaw actually shooting and and finding the goal usually United need four or five decent chances to score every game so that was good and then just a couple other uh showed up performances I thought Wamba Saka was was very decent against Sterling again keeping him quiet for the most part even though Sterling maybe could have thrown himself towards a ball at the back post there one or two times but uh, and McTominay uh, was pretty good as well, I think, in that game, even though he might have uh, let himself down today. And, yeah, Martial, especially impressive given his season, uh, turning, running at players, uh, using his body, which is actually an underrated part of his game, and, and linking the play up. Um, if he's not coming to the ball, his movement isn't that great, I don't think, as a number nine, but. Uh, yeah, this is one of his better games of the whole season. So I was very, very pleased with the result. Was not expecting it, same as you. But yeah, I think you covered almost all of it. I, I can't really say much from the city perspective since I was 
kind of just watching them control the ball for the most part and watching what the United players were doing. I can't really say too much about that, but obviously they'd be disappointed controlling as much as they were and not getting the result. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, so like you guys said, United, I thought they played really well, and it's a game that obviously when you get a penalty that early, but it was a deserved penalty, um, it's going to change the complete dynamic of the game and really play into United's favor because they do want to play in a counterattacking style. But uh, even to get the penalty, the first 30 seconds, I think credit has to go to Solskjaer and, and the fact that United obviously went and pressed City really aggressively for probably the first 15 minutes of the game city didn't really know um what hit them and they just were struggling to really adapt to the pressure that united threw at them and obviously they started to gain control as as man city would and then for the rest of the game they did they did like they created some chances controlled possession as you'd expect um but united defensively solid i think i mentioned um, other last podcast, or I've mentioned before that United, especially with their defenders who haven't played the best this season, they definitely suit a low block a lot more and are a lot more comfortable when the when all the plays in front and they don't have any space to defend in behind against pace. So they were really, really organized all game, and to keep a clean sheet against this Man City team is is really, really impressive. And I thought, like from Manchester City perspective, Kevin De Bruyne, that was one of the worst games I've seen him play in a long time. I don't know if he's rusty or just coming back from injuries, but wasn't the best from De Bruyne. Sterling, every time Sterling plays against Wan-Bissaka, he does absolutely nothing. It's it's weird. It's almost like he like like the pressure builds and he knows he's not going to get around him. And Wan-Bissaka, every single time he plays against him, completely locks him up. But yeah, I thought United, they they played really well. Like I said, I listened to this game, so it was a little it was probably a little bit different than you guys watching it, but from what I heard from the commentary, uh, Luke Shaw was playing really well. Anthony Martial was really involved with all the link up play and maybe he just suits a, a counterattacking style. Maybe not his movement in the final third isn't the best when United are trying to bake like break teams down and stuff, but when he's got space to move into and and link up with the front three. I think that 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 suits him really well because he's obviously got some talent. He just kind of goes missing sometimes. But uh, yeah, really, really good result for United. And you know, just like to, to beat City, no matter how how you beat them at, at this stage, with how good Man City are at this point, uh, uh, like you you need to take your chances like they did. And um, last thing I'll say, it's I, I saw a stat. I believe that. And Solskjaer is the only manager who's got uh, like a head-to-head record against Pep Guardiola and actually has a better like win percentage than he does. Like he's won more games than he's lost, which is like really, really interesting. If you think about it, it's pretty funny, but yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that one. Really, really good win for United. Um, obviously we, we all know the title's gone, but uh, in terms of a top four race, it's uh it's a really important three points and they'll, they'll look to continue the form and, and the, for the remainder of the Premier League season, really uh, quickly touch on your thoughts, guys, the game that was played today against AC Milan. I didn't see this one. So just give if you guys want to quickly discuss the one, one draw against AC Milan. Yeah, I'll jump into it first. I won't, um, 
I won't go too far into it just because it made me angry near the end of the game. But it, again, it was a kind of disappointing for United where they follow up a big result with a disappointing performance. Um, just to be said, like obviously it's it's a draw, so it's not the worst result in the world. But of course, with the um, the away goal that that they scored right at, right at the death, it kind of I mean United still have to score uh, next week, so at least we're we're guaranteed some action, I guess. If you want to look at it that way, but it wasn't really a good game at all. Um, Martial, like we mentioned, just completely dropped off from this game against City at the weekend. He was basically invisible. Um, I know he played like a big part of the first half with an injury, but uh, you can't really say it's like an outlier in his performances because he's been invisible from other games this season too. So I can't really give that as a, as a cause like to defend him. But I don't know, just just a little disappointing overall. Um, obviously, uh, Ahmad Diallo's first goal for United since joining, so that was good. It was a really a great header. Well, it was a great run, a great pass, and a great header, just heading it um, over Donnarumma while he was looking the wrong way. Obviously, obviously very tough to do, um, but still very impressive. And, um, yeah, just a, cu- a couple glaring misses from United. Harry Maguire basically missing from the goal line, just hits it off the post and out. And uh, Dan James missed another great chance too. wasn't wasn't exactly as clear cut as as Maguire's, but it's still a really really good chance to to not put the tie to bed, but really put United in the controlling position. And I guess they, they came back to haunt them uh, in the end. But I I think AC Milan actually played really well, or they they played better than United anyways. The draw was deserved. They had you know they had more shots and they were they looked more dangerous. Than United did going forward. Um, Obviously, they had two goals disallowed uh, early in the first half as well um, for offside and a handball in the lead-up. So, I don't know. United kind of got away with it, I guess. They, they didn't really take care of the danger signs. And uh, really, like, the only reason I was really, really, really frustrated with this game, with the result, was the fact that AC Milan's goal came from a handball that VAR would have checked. Um except it was a handball, but then the ball went out for a corner kick. So as soon as it goes out of play, they can't review it. And then they score directly off the corner. It's not a defense because uh, United haven't been defending set pieces. Well, I think since Solskjaer came in pretty much, it's, it's been like one of the weaknesses um, that have been noticeable. And I guess t- to be fair, we, we would have given De Gea kind of some grief for this one. So Dean Henderson probably had to save that one too, is right down the middle. And he just, I don't know, just didn't position himself properly or didn't read it. Uh, didn't read the flight of the, of the header exactly right. Obviously, it was it was raining, so like very very hard. So that could have an effect. But I don't want to sound like like your Klopp here blaming the the weather for the results. But yeah, that was just the only thing that really frustrated me with this game. Obviously, I was really frustrated after the game because I was kind of thinking that the handball cost United the game. But I was talking with Aiden after, and then just just reflecting on it, United probably didn't really deserve uh the win. Like it would have been a kind of a lucky result anyway so i guess i guess it was deserved but just a little more nervy going into the game next week than than obviously we would have hoped but yeah aiden what'd you take away from this game today yeah, it was uh, pretty poor from united overall not great at playing out milan really stifling the play from the fullbacks and not really allowing too many balls into fernandez for the most part until maybe a 20 minute period in the second half uh, a lot of poor performances from United. Only really stand-up performance, I'd say, might be Eric Bailly. Other than that, Matic, Matic, not at the level anymore, i got to say. McTominay, subpar yet again. Um, when he has to play the ball, not good enough. Dan James, can't protect the ball. 
when it goes up the line to him, losing the ball four or five times. Uh, the only one of the only bright spots from a United point of view would be the uh, loanee from Milan, uh, Diego Dallo, who was uh, terrorizing Juan Bissaka during the first half, uh, and he, he looked to have a great game there going forward. So that was good. Uh, in the first half, Cassier running the midfield, very good. Unlucky to have his uh, his goal disallowed, even though it was a foul throw and a handball. But but that's okay. Uh, I, I wouldn't have really minded if if that one went in because it was deserved from Milan, to be honest. Uh, yeah, not really too much to say. Just uh, really showing the squad depth here. I don't think there's. They have the players here have the name value on United, but that might just be because they play for United. They don't really have the quality in terms of Dan James, uh, Matic, McTominay, and now Greenwood's form has really, really hit a slide here. So he doesn't really look like the same player, especially playing off the right wing. And uh, when Martial isn't playing like he did against City, he's basically anonymous during the whole game, like you guys touched on. Uh, so that's all I really have to say. And then, um, uh, Juan Bissaka not not at the races at all. Very bad positionally, especially in the first half for me. So yeah, I think it might have been a little bit. Uh, it was it would have been lucky to have come away one 0 and I would have been. In one way, I would have been very very pleased with that result, but also um, not pleased just due to the performance. And that's what we talk about a lot with United is the results really mask over the performance mostly. And that's to do with uh, players like Fernandez and Rashford. And obviously when Rashford isn't playing in this game, you really see the impact he would have had on the team. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really all I have to say. Milan probably feeling a little bit more confident going into the second leg, getting a lot of players back. I would assume a lot of senior players that are missing for this game, but disappointing. And uh, like Jake says, United have to score, so hopefully they go for it on the front foot. Solskjaer made a lot of defensive changes, bringing on Williams and Shaw, forming a back five, but the bench was very, very, very poor for United standards, and that's why even with lots of injuries, you'd say, wow, the depth still isn't there, um, even though they've spent so much money over the past five to ten years. It's it's really uh, something to see. Mm, yeah, d- disappointed, but United always make it hard on themselves since Sir Alex left. I'm not, I'm not really uh, surprised that this is the way. So I, I still am confident they'll go through, but they always make it hard on themselves. I wouldn't be surprised to see some extra time next match. What do you think, Jack? Yeah. So like I said, I didn't see this one, but one of the main takeaways for this, it wasn't really, on, it wasn't on the game itself, but, that's a, such a big game for the Europa League at this stage in the competition. I, I would have liked to see United against AC Milan at like a farther point, maybe like a semi, like a semifinal or even a final. But it's a really big, big game for this point in the competition. And really, all I have to say is that it does make, like you said, Jake, for an exciting second tie. I don't really have anything else to add other than it should be a, a good game because it's it's two teams in in good form competing at the top of their respective leagues. So exciting to see the second leg and and hopefully i can hopefully have the time to see it and i don't have to work so uh so before we get on to talking about the the, uh, premier league action this weekend i just want to quickly point out that there was also some really big news that came out yesterday for man united that they finally finally appointed a director of football 
John Murdo, I think that's how you pronounce the name. I could be butchering it. <laughs> but they finally, finally got his director of football at Manchester United, um, something that they should have done a long time ago. Um, and it shows that they're finally catching up with the way that modern clubs should run. And we all know that the, the job of the director of football is is uh, it involves transfer policy, involves youth development, and making sure that everything within the within the football club is aligned from the academy to the first team, and that everything's in one vision. Kind of try to make a production line of of talent coming through the ranks, and they also have a, a say over the transfers, obviously, and work with he'll, I guess he'll work with with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to uh, identify targets and, and scout players and everything all of the details that go in that job and uh, Jake I just want your thoughts because I've got some I've got some thoughts on this as well coming from somebody who's seen uh, the benefits and uh, negatives of of having a director of football so I just want your initial reaction to this news yeah, so just the uh, the first thing that came to mind when I saw this news, Big Ed Woodward must have been listening to our episode from last week. There's no way they, there's no way they, they did this any other way. I mean, it's nice to have an influence at United, but uh, seriously, it's like, um, uh, like obviously, like you mentioned, very very important, uh, definitely helpful for the club. Kind of something that I didn't think we'd ever see happen, to be honest. Uh, based on my comments last week, and I think they start they first started searching for a for a like this position three or four years ago. So they've uh, we'll, we'll say that they've considered their options carefully and um, they definitely didn't delay this any longer than they had to. But um, uh, yeah, just like, uh, obviously, like we mentioned, like most clubs are run this way. Most successful clubs are run this way. It's like very like streamlined and, and just one big vision put together. And it's, it's obviously very helpful for the managers, the owners um, just to keep like the, I, I guess the philosophy of the club going for, for lack of a better term. Um, but yeah, like very important, obviously one of Ed Woodward's friends, uh, good friends, I guess, from what I've heard um, came to the club when, when David Moyes uh, joined the club. So we know there's definitely nothing wrong that happened there. Um, uh, I'm making a lot of jokes, but to be honest, like I mentioned, it is very important um, from what I've read. I've read, they, they had a really good article about it on the athletic Um they wrote about like how important he was for the academy. Obviously, like uh, with they 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 quoted him with like, or sorry, they credited him with like a major part to play in the fact that like Rashford, McTominay, Greenwood came through. Um, so I guess he had he had a big impact with that. Um, he discovered like a bunch of of uh, very good players like Hannibal Mejbri is in United's youth team at the moment, but he's he's like a really up and coming star from from all the accounts, and obviously he's he's. He's been quoted for like discovering some other, other um uh, players as well, such as like, I think Mbappe was one of them. Not like discovered them per se, but like was ahead of the game when it came to that. So obviously he's got a he's got a good eye for talent from what I've read. Um, <clears throat> and of course it's just it's obvious, but this just brings a new hierarchy at United. Um, the interesting part about this though is that I read in the Athletic where obviously they they talked with people high up at the club is that this new director of football, which he's the new director of football and uh, Darren Fletcher was hired as the technical director. So um, two different roles, but interestingly, like the, the, the football director, he isn't above Solskjaer. They're both at the same level and they consult each other 
um, for decisions like this. They decide on stuff together. And then Darren Fletcher is the, the bridge between the two. And obviously there's kind of some other like restructuring, like Matt Judge, who we criticized, I think, on one of the on one of the episodes is now below uh, the new technical director. So he's just in charge of the of the negotiations, which is really what he's good at. Um <clears throat> And yeah, it's just just kind of the way like a, a a regular, I guess, modern club is run. Um, but yeah, just Aiden, just real quick, like I, I I don't know how you feel about this point. Are you are you happy with the director of football, or is it kind of mad for you? No, it's definitely good. I just wonder if it's more of a uh, kind of a scheme. I wonder how much uh, pull Ed Woodward will still have in the whole operation. I know he's going to be the one that's uh, reporting to the Glaziers, but how much of a final say he's going to have, uh, I think, is yet to be seen by the activity. If it's poor activity, we'll blame Ed, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's definitely good uh, good to get a bridge, like you said, and have someone uh, level with Ole. I think it's good to have the coach obviously putting input onto what players he wants, or the manager, rather, and then someone else kind of seconding that or having other options for him, kind of a list of options and throwing in their own opinion, and then just obviously delighted to have Darren around, uh, you know, class lad he is, and just love to see him at the football club, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's all we can say about that, and yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how it works out. I'm, I'm not fully convinced just uh, based on United's recent years and their uh, board level or boardroom level of operations not been even subpar. So I'm not really convinced because if it was going to take this long, couldn't they have appointed someone in-house a little bit sooner? You know what I mean? If was it two years that they took to do this? So I'm I'm not really sure. Maybe I think this might just be to save face, but hopefully they prove me wrong, Jack. Yeah. So like like I said, I I can I I definitely think that they needed to appoint a director of football, and it is very important, especially with like how much goes into the game these days. I think that when it comes to scouting, when it comes to transfers. Uh, dealing with players, dealing with agents, everything that goes into it, that there's way too much um, going on for one person. And like previously, it was just Ed Woodward. There's way too many jobs for one person to be responsible for. And obviously, director of football is super important. It takes some of the pressure off of Woodward, um, or it's supposed to, and it's supposed to give the director of football responsibility. And We've seen some of like some of the most successful clubs in the world, like all, all of the most successful clubs have a director of football. And when I look at United bringing in this guy, like John Murdo, uh, I just, like you said, Aiden, I, I think it's the right move in bringing in a director of football. But the fact, like you say, they promoted from within, they could have done this a lot sooner. And personally looking at it from an outsider's perspective, um, it, it, I don't know how confident I would feel in promoting somebody to such an important position with absolutely zero experience. And like I've seen it firsthand relating it to Everton um, back after Leicester City won their league. Everton took Steve Walsh, who was Leicester City's chief scout, and took him because he was the guy who discovered Vardy, Riyad Mahrez and Golo Conte and brought them to Leicester. And they put Steve Walsh in the director of football position for Everton. 
with zero experience in a director football role because like i said there's a lot more that goes into that than just scouting and some of the decisions that he made with some of the players that he signed like Gilfie Sigurdsson for 50 million, Yannick Blasi for like 30 million, Jenk Tosin, Theo Walcott. Like these are expensive players that we're still having a hard time uh, selling from the club to this day. And that comes from the fact that uh, he didn't have that experience or maybe he just didn't care. But I think it's more of the fact that he, he probably just wasn't competent in that role. And I just, if I was a United fan, I would want them to get the director of football but I'd want them to go for the very best. I'd, I'd want them to go for, I think it's Zork. I think that's Bruce Dortmund's director of football. Like get the very best one, give them a ton of control. But like you said, Aiden, it's probably going to be Woodward who still has the final say anyway. So even though the director of football is supposed to have all this power, I'm, I'm still kind of unconvinced. Although we'll, we'll see what happens. And also from the little bit of reading that I was doing about John Murdo is that you touched on it, Jake, he had a huge influence over the development of some of the young players that, that have come through in terms of Greenwood, I believe Rashford as well as some of these younger players. Um, and when it comes to uh, bringing players through the United Academy, if this is this guy's main um like best attribute if you're trying to like apply attributes to them if this is his best skill set i don't think that's actually where manchester united are struggling at all at this moment i think they're really doing a great job of bringing players through uh into the first team you see rashford you see greenwood dean henderson now getting a chance you've seen twan zebe like you've seen all these players come through over the last last couple of years and, and they're going to be part of man united's future so i'm i'm a little bit skeptical. i think getting the director of football in is a great move i'm just skeptical in terms of the personnel what like how it's actually going to play out due to the lack of experience and we know of ed woodward's influence overall at the club i'm just well well it only time will tell we'll have to see what happens and we'll We'll see. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe he gets a lot of power to to work with with Ole and and Woodward just kind of, um, you know, just steps away from the footballing side of things and goes just into his commercial stuff, which is what he's good at. So, yeah, only time will will tell. And yeah, like I, I don't really have anything else to say. We'll we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, I want to go into the Premier League action this weekend. Everton taking on Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Everton, unfortunately, losing to Chelsea 2-0 in a game that I I would like to point out first. Chelsea were very, very, very good. They're a very good team now, like under Tuchel. And finally, with a manager who really knows what he's doing, a a really good, like, tactical manager with Chelsea's squad, which I'll touch on in a second, we'll we'll discuss, I'm sure, kind of showing like how good some of these players are and how good this squad is compared to the rest of the league. Cause it was probably, I would say as from an overall performance, I would say that Chelsea against Everton was probably more, um, more convincing than even when Everton played against Manchester city the other week, they just didn't look like they're ever going to concede and have so many options to, um, to to attack and change things up and cause problems for the defense now it's not like i i didn't really expect anything out of this game anyway um everton with a bunch of injuries including abdullah the who's like you need 
energy, so we didn't have any energy in, in Abdullah Dekure. Seamus Coleman injured, so the only other makeshift right back at the club is Holgate, and he's not a right back, and was completely exposed for the first goal, but I don't really blame him because he's a center back playing out of position. So if he individual errors like that happen, I'm, I'm not going to be too hard on him. Uh, James Rodriguez also injured. I really need this guy to come back because we we do know, we know he's made out of glass, but I would like him to come back because he's way better than everybody else on the like in the squad. So I need him to come back to to create the attacks and. Compared to Chelsea, they just they they don't have a squad to compete. And I'm very happy. One of the one of the main takeaways from this game I was thinking after, I was so happy that Lampard was still the coach when Everton beat them back in back in December, because it's just three points we can take off of them. And one of the main takeaways is that as even though Everton like they're they're not the most offensive team and really can't be unless they're at full strength with the, the personnel available. Um if they don't beat the top teams like Chelsea, who I think are going to finish second or third with United, they look very strong. As long as they beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, I think Everton will probably finish in a European place, a Europa League spot, I would think, not a Champions League. I don't think their squad's good enough. But, uh, yeah, we didn't really learn anything new. And then the other main takeaway that I just want to point out here before I get your guys' thoughts is that uh, the the tactics from the manager, and you'd expect Ancelotti to get it correct, but it's reassuring as a fan to know that the tactics in sitting back and trying to counter Chelsea because they don't have the personnel available to go head-to-head with them, it is very reassuring to see a manager who actually realizes that instead of trying to match them and getting destroyed like we have in previous years under previous managers, just sitting back trying to counter and then it was ultimately not the tactics that let us down but personal mistakes from from players playing out of position and just players who simply aren't good enough but um that that'll change as we sign players and get better players who can compete with the top teams but uh jake i'll come to you first what what were your thoughts on this one yeah one of the first things that stood out was kind of like chelsea's death i think you, you might have mentioned it but they're very good um obviously versatile as well like hudson adoy we've we've seen starting at right wing back recently and and he started further up in the, the in the two behind the striker <clears throat> so just first time they could take advantage of like different positions um obviously playing like further forward and having played at right wing back he'll kind of know like what defenders don't like uh, kind of like what side to go on, what run to make, that kind of thing. So it, it, it could definitely help him in the long run. Um, it, it was it was interesting too, like a, a Kai Havertz starting as a number nine and Werner uh, playing as one of the, as another one of the two. I kind of would have thought that that would have been flipped, but Havertz played really, really well. He was getting involved and he was making runs. And I, he scored a goal that was ruled out for a handball, I believe. And and um, it was his shot that led to, to Ben Godfrey's own goal. Um, which was obviously unfortunate from Ben Godfrey. There was nothing he could have done about it. He was just trying to block the shot, and, and unfortunately for him, it ricocheted uh, in the back of the net. But Havertz played really well. It was, it was the first time I've been impressed with him in a Chelsea shirt, to be honest, but he played really well. Um, Jorginho, the penalty merchant. No, I'm just kidding. But he scored uh, Chelsea's top score in the league with uh, six goals. So that's it's kind of weird with like all the money that they spent this summer that that's that's kind of like a really shocking stat but um at least he's he's putting them away i guess penalties aren't easy for for most for most people but 
he's playing really well. I'm just going to keep it short. And and just for, for Everton's point of view is really like, it was really what we highlighted, I think in the season preview and, and then the, in the weeks afterwards when Everton were, were kind of flying um, with the, the squad depth, just as soon as you get one or two injuries and you're, you're not, you're, I don't want to say you're kind of done, but the, the downgrade in quality is huge. Whereas last season, Everton had a worse squad, but if you took someone out from the starting 11 and you replace them with someone on the bench, the, the, quality wasn't noticeably that much different like just for example we'll just take the like a number 10 position like this year if you if you downgrade from Hamas to Sigurdsson it's a really big difference but last season let's just use Delph as an example even though I know he's not a number 10 but if you take out Sigurdsson for like Fabian Delph there's not that much difference in quality like they, they play different roles but I think you guys kind of know what, I, what I'm trying to say here like the just the drop off is bigger so it, it I guess it can make a big difference for, for a club like that um but yeah, obviously, just very good players. But it's kind of just disappointing to follow up like their 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 recent good form and, and Richarlison's good form with a <clears throat> excuse me with a loss against Chelsea. But you can't win them all, right? Everton are still in the contention. I think they're still in sixth place. I think they're only what four points behind the top four, so it's still doable. Um, and yeah, and just, we have the game in hand. I'll just add that as well. We have oh, if yeah. we win our game in hand, then we're only one point behind Chelsea. Yeah, it's definitely helpful too. So even better position than I thought. So yeah. Um, yes, things are still looking up for Everton. Probably, I'd say definitely higher than than I expected them to be at this point in the season. I don't know about the two of you, but definitely higher than than I would have thought. And they're doing well. And Chelsea are a good team, and they're really looking like a like a top four team at the moment. Um, yeah, uh, I guess that's kind of it for for me. Aiden, what do you think about this game? Yeah, I think you guys really summarized it well. Chelsea, very, very, very impressive. Uh, watched all their games since Tuchel took over dominating the ball for the most part, and they really don't look like they're ever going to concede a goal under him. Uh, They haven't lost a game, I believe, since he came in. Very impressive. And the squad really warrants a manager of Tuchel's quality, like Jack was saying, much superior to Frank Lombard. It just makes me wonder, perhaps, even though I'm a biggest supporter of Ole, what maybe a more credentialed manager could do at the club uh, once you see Tuchel come in uh, like this, maybe an Allegri, someone like that. You never know. Uh, yeah, just just very impressive. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't remember this game. I did watch it. I don't remember it too, too much. But all I remember is being very impressed with Chelsea and the options that they have, like you guys touched on. And I can't really say too many disappointments from Everton's point of view because I think Chelsea's going to push on and make the top four. And then uh, unless, unless West Ham – has something to say about it. Maybe maybe Everton, but uh, West Ham being three points above Everton. I, I'm not sure about that right now. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I uh, don't really have much to add. I, I honestly can't remember. I know, Jake, we watched this game together, but I, I don't remember anything. Jack? Yeah, it's it, it was very much just a, like not completely dominant. Like some Everton fans were like Chelsea completely dominated the game. They didn't really create like a million chances, but they were in, I think there's a difference between dominating the game and completely controlling it. They controlled it. They did a lot of passing around the back, but Everton never looked like they were going to threaten or, or score. But yeah, it's, it's, I think honestly with that squad, from what I've seen so far, like there's so much talent and I've got some, I, I did the math and based off of, I compared the value, the transfer value or current market value uh, from the transfer market website of uh, Chelsea's bench 
Do you guys just want to take just just quick guess? And I, I've got the number here. How many pounds did their bench cost? Do you think? Uh, I'll guess like 150 milli. I'll guess like three seventy five. So two two hundred and fifty five million pounds. So yeah, like like between between those two. Um, would you like to guess? A, it's an, a slight estimation under the value of Everton's bench based off of transfer fees. And then I've got a quick, like quick thing to add to that. Um, I'll go 50 like million. 20 million. So I did. So they've got a bunch of youth players on the bench, which is why I, I'll explain in one sec, but their value through transfers through a loan fee for Josh King. Oh, I didn't know that was a loan. Damn it. A loan fee, but it, it, I'll, I'll get into it in a sec. But their actual transfer value spent compared to the 255 million pounds that Chelsea have spent on their bench, Everton have a whopping 2.16 million pounds right around that on their bench. And just quickly, I would like to play this this little game, just a yes or no answer from you guys. I'm going to name off just to show the absolute like lack of, of depth at this club. And I'm just going to name off the bench players for Everton in this game. And I would like you guys to simply state if you've ever seen them play in a Premier League game for Everton or if you've ever even heard of them. So first player I'll go, have you ever seen Zhao Virginia play in net for Everton in the Premier League? I have not. No, I just know him from FIFA. Yeah, I don't think he has. Uh, Have you heard Harry Tyrer? No. No, another youth player. I think he may be the U18 goalie. Like we have two goalies on our bench there. Uh, Niels and Kunku. Him, yes. That one game he played against like City or whoever it was. I was yeah, waiting I for a masterclass it. after you were hyping him, and I did not see it. But he is. He is class. Still, still got time. The cup games. We'll wait and see. We'll see. Well, we're about to get knocked out by Man City in the cup, but he uh, he's got one one appearance in the in the Premier League. Uh, Kyle John. No. No negative. Nope. Nope. Yep. I don't think he has made an appearance yet. We've got Tom Davies in there who did actually did decent when he came on. Tyler Onyango. Never. Nope. Exactly. Okay, I'll just I'll wrap it up there. You guys get the point. Onyango, though, I will quickly say Onyango is it does look very promising from what I've seen so far. I think he's only like 17, but he's already like six three, six four, and he plays center mid. So he's got a lot of energy. I'd actually like to see if he makes an appearance off the bench against Burnley in our next game. But What's... I just wanted to just highlight the lack of depth there. Like some of these players, I've never even seen them play. I know they're from the U18 and U23 setup, but like they're on the bench against Chelsea. And you can't – like Chelsea bringing Mason Mount, I think they brought off Ziyech off the bench. They brought N'Golo Conte off the bench. I'm like, how are we supposed to – how is this, this squad, like, physically is not capable of beating that Chelsea team if they've got Thomas Tuchel in charge? And I think that Tuchel, I think with this squad, I don't even think it's a matter of needing to buy more quality players. Like, Christian Christian Pulisic can't even get a game right now. He's a great player. But I think that Chelsea next season, once they get a little bit more used to the Tuchel setup and with the amount of options that Tuchel has at his disposal, like I – from right now, I can probably confidently say Chelsea should definitely be contending for the title and look like they could actually be a threat next season. Like they have to be at least 
at the very least third place in my opinion, but probably second, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Just one thing that I was going to add is that, um, cause I totally gapped on the, uh, entire game there before the analysis, but I remember Hudson Adoy now is very good in the game, uh, especially the first half. And, um, the other thing was that I saw that uh, Tuchel was saying Pulisic, it kind of works against him because he knows how good he can be off of the bench in 20 or 30 minute spurts from his time at Dortmund. So right now he's just using him as an impact sub because of that. But that's it. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It just, show, like, just shows the quality. Like Pulisic walks into Everton's team. He's a, he's a great player. But like I said, we don't, Everton don't need to, we are, we beat Chelsea earlier on the season. So, so that's good. Take the positives and we just need to make sure we beat the teams um, that we should on paper be beating. So we play Burnley next. And then, then we go from there. We have Brighton and Sheffield United coming up as well. So teams that on paper, we need to win. We can do that. We should be able to secure the Europa League spot, but we move on to a huge result at the other end of the table. Fulham beating Liverpool at Anfield. I believe it's Liverpool's sixth straight home defeat, and that's the first time that that's happened in the club's history. But I, I want to talk. We've talked a lot about Liverpool. It's the same same thing, but like Fulham, they deserve a lot of credit for this one. So Jay, Ola, like, what are your thoughts on this one? Obviously, Fulham doing really, really well there. I'm getting a little nervous. I was wrong with our prediction a couple of weeks ago, where I said Fulham were still going down. I might. I have to rethink that one later on. Um, yeah, just on the game, they played very well. They've gotten, they've taken four points from Liverpool this season, so you really can't fault it. Um, uh, Lamina scored right before halftime, I think it was, and he just dispossessed Mo Salah on the edge of his own box and just uh, curled. Yeah, he curled the shot in the, in the bottom corner, uh, the bottom forehand corner. So it was a really nice goal, and, and Fulham have been playing really well. You saw kind of what what it meant at the final whistle with um. Uh, Scott Parker, the way he was kind of reacting and, and the way just he celebrated. So they played really well. Like they've they've become like kind of a solid team. Like at the beginning of the season, if you were to ask me if I would have like liked Fulham, I would have said no, just because I, I wasn't too sure about them and like the defense and all that. But they've played really well this season. Like Arreola's been a good goalkeeper. Um, Tosin Adebayo, who they signed from City, he, he came through City's academy, but I don't think he ever played a Premier League game for City. He might have played in some cups here or there. Um, he's played pretty well. Uh, he was kind of unlucky to score a, an own goal last week against Spurs. But anyway, um, they have Joachim Anderson as well, who's who's been probably their standout in my opinion this season. Um, obviously, he kind of had like a he was touted for like a big future when he was at Sampdoria. Then he moved to uh, Leon and and he didn't really play very much. So it was kind of like a surprising step for him to join Fulham in the summer, I think. But he's he's really backed up. He's looked amazing. He's kind of looked like a He's been like their 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 captain pretty much, and and just their their leader at the back is what I'm trying to say. And they're just kind of a a, a good team, Fulham. Like they're they're obviously they're not they're never going to challenge for like Europe or anything like that. But they're still they're still good. They're giving themselves a chance. Um, again, they go on these runs where they don't really lose too many games. They just don't gather up that many points. Um, so they've only won. Well, they've won two out of the last five in the Premier League. There's they've only lost one of their, one. They've only lost one of their last five. So that's a really as good as good a streak as, as you could want i guess and they're, they're tied tied now on points with brighton so i obviously brighton very nervous um like i mentioned last week or two weeks ago i'd just be very happy if my prediction came true for brighton to go down even though i like them very well so um either one of those will be a plus but yeah just very good from fulham and 
And again, just delighted that Liverpool are down in eighth place. Let's go. Um, Aiden, what did you think? Yeah, credit to Fulham. I think that, uh, like you said, the standout for me was uh, Anderson there having a group performance. Uh, we've already mentioned it, or I've already mentioned it previously, like switching up the personnel from the first maybe three or four games of the season uh, from uh, Hector and uh, Reem has really, really helped out the back line and, and Anderson uh, earning himself a team of the week on FIFA. Very nice. But I will say that Liverpool look like they're prioritizing the Champions League with this lineup. Nico Williams, uh, Phillips, Reese uh, Williams, or whatever his name is. That guy, he he cannot buy a break in the back line. He's every time he plays, it's a shocking result for Liverpool. Uh, thinking back to the FA Cup, where he had a bit of a bad game there, and then other players like Shakiri, who does not seem to get off the bench too often until it's just time to throw him on in desperation. And uh, Nabi Keita for 50 million, this guy never plays. So uh, that was probably nice for him to get a little run out there and, and take a, a loss. But uh, yeah, it just looks like Liverpool are prioritizing the Champions League. And like you said, Jake, great for Fulham and Brighton. I think we might have gotten a little bit giddy about the performances at the beginning of the season and performances versus results the performances and they should have beat Chelsea they could have beaten a couple other sides that was in the first six games but since then it's been absolutely shocking for Brighton and I think Fulham are going to stay up now you've got your prediction right go on Jack I think it's between like for relegation it's between Brighton and Newcastle for the sake of um like the actual style and, and watching, I hope that it's actually Brighton who stay up because maybe if they, maybe it's a striking problem, but Newcastle, and also let's remember Newcastle six, they did the double over Everton. They did the double. They're terrible to watch. How, six points, six points came from Everton. I don't even know how many points Newcastle have this season, but for the sake of just watching your team well to be honest if you're just talking about watching your team you probably put Everton right down there for for watchability but for the sake of like results just everything Newcastle I think that they're they're set to set to go down especially without Callum Wilson I think he's still out we see the Matt Ritchie incident with Steve Bruce on the training ground you know it's just um, and, and they have a tough run until the end of the end of the season I hope and Fulham Fulham knock the ball around really well I like I'd like to see him stay up and like we've given, I think we've praised Scott Parker for just making them once he saw, and this might be the difference between somebody like Scott Parker and Graham Potter where Scott Parker saw, okay, we need to prioritize stop to, we need to prioritize defending. So we stop conceding goals and then we'll go and try to score. Whereas Graham Potter, he's, they've got the style. They're trying to score, creating all these chances, but uh, in reality, the goals aren't going in and they're still conceding and losing games. So um, like ho hopefully it's Fulham and Brighton, but we'll have to wait and see at the end of the season. Could I just add a couple more points about the relegation battle? Those are very good points, Jack, but I just like to say that uh, Fulham uh, have played one more game than Brighton and Newcastle. Brighton and Newcastle do play in nine days on the 20th. And then the last game of the season is going to be Newcastle against Fulham could be a uh, relegation decider, not a title decider, as I almost said there. there ima imagine if it comes down to some really dodgy VAR decision. That would, if I was a fan of one of those two clubs and I got relegated because of a 
VAR call, I would lose my mind, but we'll move on. We'll move back up to the top of the table with West Ham getting another win against Leeds. David Moyes, this guy, he's gotten all the respect back because West Ham looks solid again. They just, they look good. They, they are what Everton were under David Moyes when the owners would, well, for Everton couldn't afford them, couldn't afford any players. And for West Ham, their owners just don't want to spend any money. So Jake, just quick thoughts. I just want to, to touch on West Ham once again. I know it's kind of saying the same thing every week, but another win, another solid performance. West Ham with another win. Yeah, they're doing very well, especially against the, the media's favorite team, Leeds, as well. So that's always enjoyable to see see them lose against a team who plays in, in brackets uglier. Um, it really doesn't matter how you play. It matters that you win. So, and West Ham are, are doing really well. Um, obviously, we know, again, Lingard scored again. I think it was a rebound off a penalty, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. So he's, like we mentioned every single week so far, he's really adapting to life at West Ham. It, it seems today that he's asked for a permanent move to West Ham. So um, that'd be just great to see for Lingard, just being able to like enjoy and play regularly and, and not have you know too much pressure on him the way he has at United recently. And just West Ham, they played really well. I watched, I think, I most of this game, maybe the first 60 minutes or so. Um, and Craig Dawson scoring and then hitting the post on, off another corner. This guy's actually a threat. It's actually crazy. Um, probably, probably West Ham. Get him in the like, England squad. Yeah, I, I him, saw. Get him in the England squad. I saw Southgate's actually considering it. This is like reports. Like, obviously, I don't know if they're true or not. But I saw he's, he's yeah, Aiden's face. I saw Southgate's is thinking about calling up Craig Dawson. Um, so I'm not sure how, how, how you know, regular people would, would take that news. But I think it'd be really funny. Just a, an England team full of West Ham players. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought. But, yeah, Cresswell and Craig Dawson, the back four with England. I would love to see that. Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, very good. Speaking of just the same every week, like Jack was saying, Lingard scoring again. Unbelievable scenes. Player of the month from the Premier League. I think so. Very nice from Jay Lings. Glad to see him getting the permanent move. And uh, very impressive from West Ham, not even having uh, their second most creative player behind Lingard on the bench. They had Bowen on the bench. and They still come out with this result. And I think this just speaks to, obviously, David Moyes, like you guys were saying, but then this midfield partnership, how undervalued is is Declan Rice at this moment? Or David Moyes really valuing him, saying he's, what, over $100 million, far past that valuation, which is quite insane to me. Uh, but for West Ham, maybe he is worth that much. And then Suchek as well. How much is he really worth? Uh, obviously, he just recently moved there, but the Slavia Prague boys really getting it done. Him and Kufal have been absolute rocks at the back. And you mentioned Craig Dawson and uh, Cresswell, uh, just immense seasons. No one would have really seen that coming. So, um, yeah, there's not there's not really much to say. Uh, leads are really the hot pick, but it's it's not uh, kind of prime Barcelona with Messi, Xavi, and Yesta. Possession does not really matter anymore. If If you win the game, some teams possess the ball, some teams counterattack, but whoever wins the game, that's all that matters these days. So credit to West Ham. I like the hammers. Keep it going, David. Come on, lad. I would love West Ham to get the European place, but not to the detriment of Everton. Plus, I was just thinking there, you guys just said with like having Jared Bowen on the bench, do West Ham have a deeper squad right now than Everton? 
because by Everton's whole whole bench, like almost everybody on their bench is like a U eighteen, U twenty three player. That would be insane. Maybe we yeah. don't have the same injuries, but like the, I would them get into a European place just because I, I don't know, just to switch it up a bit because they're usually so so bad almost every single season. Yeah, with the injuries, they probably have a deeper squad than United and Everton at the moment. Um, and but another another bit of news that I just like to add is uh, Mark Noble announcing his retirement at the end of next season. Uh, we we chirp him a lot on this podcast, but many great years of service for West Ham. Uh, I, it was interesting to me that he decided to announce it for the end of next season. Maybe he's just going to phase himself out. Uh, maybe his bad performances won't garner the same amount of criticism now that he's announced his retirement. But credit to Mark Noble. Fair play, yeah, lad. I think he just. I think he just wants to be there for one last season in, in front of the fans and hopefully they'll be back. And that's definitely deserved. He's obviously a one club man, which is really rare these days and obviously just a fantastic servant to the club and yeah, best, best of luck to him. And uh, I want to touch on Spurs in their current form. We've discussed Spurs over the last couple of weeks because they've been getting results here and there, but their last couple of games, um, and we may be completely off here, but I think all of us can confirm that the squad that Spurs have is much better than what Mourinho is doing, like in terms of getting points on the board through a defensive style. But in the last couple of Gareth Bale, this guy, he, he's back. Bale's back for the time being. I'm just not sure if Mourinho is going to revert back to his ultra defensive. Uh, low block and only counterattacking style because if he continues to let let the team play and let them flow like they have against Burnley like they have against Crystal Palace and I know they're not the best opposition but he hasn't sat back against those teams like he usually would no matter what personnel is available and Harry Harry Kane and Bale and son, Harry Kane Gareth Bale and Hyunmin Son that front three is unbelievable and it's kind of a it's kind of shameful that that is his style is to naturally back. But if I'm just going to say it now, and I think you guys will agree, if he just lets them play and lets them go for it and attack, even if they concede goals for the rest of the season, they will score more goals than they concede, and they will win almost all their games, in my opinion, and they will get into Champions League spot if if he would allow them to if Mourinho sets them up to attack. I'm just not sure if he will. Uh, Jake, I'll come to you first on that. What would you think that if Mourinho lets them play and doesn't revert back to his defensive system, do you think that Spurs can finish in the top four? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they, like as you mentioned, if they keep playing the same way, the same lineup, and and the same uh, attacking style. I'm just, I wouldn't really be expecting it. Um, I think probably like the first bad result, you know, they they lose to like a team lower down the table, like let's say a. I don't know, for example, like a Fulham or something. I think the first time that they lose to them with a, that lineup out, I think that'll be it for Mourinho. Um, obviously, it happened at United. Um, just to, to go back in the past, there was the, the, the fans would always clamor for Rashford, uh, Lukaku, and, and Martial to start together, and it, and it never happened. And then there was the, the one game where United did it. I can't remember exactly. I think it might have been a, to, against Bournemouth. I know they lost the game. Um, I believe it was 2-1. Anyway, that's not important. But United lost the game with the front three that all the fans wanted to see. And then just in the post-game presser afterwards, Mourinho just said, see, this is what happens when, when we play the team that the fans want or something to that effect. So um, 
it would kind of surprise me. Like, obviously, it's his best best front front three, but I think part of the reason why he likes Bergwijn so much in the front three is just because he'll do the the running necessary, the, the defensive tracking, and, and just make sure uh, Spurs, like, don't get caught in the counterattack, even though he hasn't had a prolific season at all. I'm actually not sure if Bergwijn's even scored this season yet. Um, which is obviously not a not a great stab, but it's just the, the work rate that he brings to, to Spurs. So I, I think he'll probably lean towards keeping that up. Um, yeah, to be honest, I just checked. Bergwijn has not scored this season, but I think Mourinho will just lean towards um, being a bit more conservative, especially if it gets near the end of the season. And United, and sorry, not United. And if Spurs need to grind out a couple of results to to qualify for the Europa League again, or maybe even the Champions League if they're in that position, I think he'll probably revert back to a defensive team with like Pierre Emil Hoiberg and, and Musa Sissoko, and just having Kane and Son trying to catch teams on the counters. But uh, yeah, I think that's to be honest what's happened. And and just last thing I say before I pass on to Aiden, Harry Kane's had such a such an unbelievable season. I think he's had um. 16 goals and 13 assists in the league alone and another eight goals in the Europa League. Obviously, they haven't been playing good opposition, but that's those are unreal stats. I, I kind of thought Bruno would walk away with the with the Player of the Year award, but maybe Kane is challenging for that. And um, and yeah, just nice to see Gareth Bale's like form, form come back. Obviously, he's a great player in Spurs history, and he's got six goals in his last six games. So uh, a return to form for sure. And it's just nice to see because Gareth Bale is a really exciting player. He's kind of one of those players who make you excited to watch a, a certain game. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just a long-winded way of saying I think this will probably not last too long, but I kind of hope it does as a neutral. Um, Aiden, what do you think about Spurs and Mourinho? Yeah, I agree. I don't think it'll last too long. Um, they did try to open up the season by playing attacking football, but then they uh, – lost the lead against West Ham, a 3-3 draw early on in the season. And ever since then, they've gone defensive. Reports have suggested that Marina would have rather spent uh, the summer transfer money on a center back to replace uh, Davinson Sanchez instead of uh, spending wages on Gareth Bale. But now that we're here, um, I would like him to just kind of maybe even play with two DMs and release the fullbacks and release the front four maybe just keep the center backs and maybe two DMs back kind of play in that kind of style. Maybe even with Oria right back, keep him back, release Reggion on and kind of play with a lopsided formation. But uh, they have a very, very hard fixture list. And the only, I can only see two easy games against Sheffield and another team before they play like eight out of the top 10. So I can't really uh, see them making the champions league. Yeah, the game that I failed to mention there that uh, Spurs have in the run is Newcastle. So they play Newcastle and Sheffield, but outside of that, they basically play eight very hard teams uh, that include like Arsenal, Everton, Leicester, Wolves, um, and United. So we'll see how that goes for them, but take it away, Jack. Yeah, I guess if if that is their run-in, I never check. If if they are going to play, they consider like the teams that are considered to be much better than I, I would be really surprised if Mourinho didn't revert back to his usual defensive ways. So we might have to hold on on that. And Jake, yeah, I agree. Harry Kane, this guy's unbelievable. That second goal versus Palace, this guy's amazing. He's so, so good. Like he, like, I don't know what team he doesn't get into. Like if you're thinking about it and I would never want this to happen, if Harry Kane went to Manchester City, it would be over. 
Like, um, imagine that. Imagine Harry Kane at Man City. I don't like he. How many goals would he score? It'd be unbelievable. But just, I would not want that to happen. Just like a false nine dropping deep too, and playing his passing is unreal. Like that would be. Yeah, and, and he, doesn't even, he doesn't even need to hit the ball over the top, but he could if he needed to. He can hold the ball up. He he'll score all the tap-ins. Like Gabriel Jesus is currently operating there, and this guy's more concerned about like giving penalties away for some reason. I don't know why. Just just to quickly touch on that, the penalty against United. Why was Gabriel Jesus in the penalty box? Thought he was the striker, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Harry Kane. This guy's unbelievably good. He, I think he might be still because he's English, but he is he is a little player. But uh, we'll move on. We can just ramble about some of the Champions League action. I need to mention Arsenal. Arsenal drawing Burnley in a game that Arsenal, they weren't, it's weird. They weren't terrible. They They were creating chances. They couldn't finish their chances. But if I was an Arsenal fan, and I've mentioned it before that the, some of the calls have been against them this season, and especially with VAR, they should feel hard done by. And Eric Peters, the handball in this game, that wasn't given. But I would be fuming if I was an Arsenal fan. That it was the most obvious VAR call of the season, and it it just it it would annoy me, and it kind of does annoy me, even though I'm not an Arsenal fan. That you get some some things that go to VAR, like the offside in the Merseyside derby at Goodison Park, where where they use Sadio Mane got called offside, and really looking at it, not offside. But then blatant handballs to stop. Uh, goal scoring opportunities don't get there get reverted and get called off it makes no sense to me but Arsenal dropping points to Burnley the performances from what I've seen lately have been better the results haven't been there and another like even to concede the goal against Burnley Granite Jack Burnt Leno and Granite Jack just absolute calamity at playing out of the back but with personnel and with better players I don't think any of us rate Granite Jack with better players those mistakes won't happen. So you can't blame it on the manager there and you can feel hard done by in terms of the VAR decision. I'd be very frustrated. I just wanted to touch on that just because uh, we do need to touch on Arsenal and sometimes we we don't uh, don't touch on them enough. But lastly, guys, I just want your your thoughts on some of the just general discussion. Any Anything uh, that you guys have to say about some of the Champions League action that took place over the last couple of days? Jake, I'll come to you first. Yeah, uh, obviously start off with the games on Tuesday. Those ones are very satisfying to watch. Just Dortmund against Sevilla, 2-2. Not exactly a classic, but not not bad either. Just very exciting. Obviously, Erling Haaland kept his his scoring up, and uh, Sevilla put a good fight back, but I guess the first leg in the away goals kind of sealed the end for them. Um, actually, they scored two cracking goals to be fair uh, a great header off a corner and, and a bar down penalty so you can't really get much better than that and of course holland uh, there was that that hilarious passage of play in the second half where holland scored a goal and it was disallowed for a foul in the box or sorry it was disallowed for offside but then they spotted a foul in the box on him like two or three minutes prior so then he went to take the penalty penalty got saved then VAR checked it, the goalkeeper had encroached, so then the penalty gets taken again, then he scores it, and then he celebrates in the goalkeeper's face. So it was very funny. Just um, I think it, it was like a 10 minutes of, of real time for like two minutes of game time, but uh, who knows? Um, it, it was it was kind of funny, so it, it was definitely worth it. And then, of course, the big news, like 
that we've seen Porto knocking out Juventus on, on away goals. Uh, that was a that was a really good game too. Obviously, it went to extra time. Then uh, Sergio Oliveira scoring a, a, an amazing free kick to to seal the tie for um for Porto uh, late on in the in stoppage time. Juventus pulled one back but couldn't get the other goal that they needed. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Aiden will mention it. The big fan of defending, but Pepe had a, had a great game in in here and then. Yeah, just real, really quickly on Wednesday's games. Wednesday's games weren't that exciting. Like Liverpool win two 0 they advanced four 0 in aggregate. So that one wasn't really in doubt. And PSG Barcelona again, it was kind of out of reach from the first leg. But Barcelona did play really well, to be honest. Messi scored a, scored an amazing goal, and, and but then missed the penalty at the end of the first half. And you just kind of felt like if he would have scored the penalty, the game, the comeback kind of would have been on again. It would have gotten in PSG's heads, but. I think once that that thing go in and the and the the score was one one at halftime, there really wasn't a realistic chance of Barcelona coming back. So that one kind of petered out and it was a little bit boring near the end. But yeah, just a real quick roundup from from what I saw. Um, Aiden, what do you think about the Champions League this week? Yeah, I wasn't too intrigued going into the second legs, but uh, maybe three out of four definitely delivered. Uh, starting with the Dortmund Sevilla, you covered it. The only thing I wanted to add was that. I think the tie was really won in the first half of the first leg uh, for Dortmund uh, as uh, Lopetegui uh, kind of illustrated in his press conference post-match. Um, Juventus against Porto, obviously, like you said, uh, 4-4 in aggregate, Porto winning on the away goals. Brilliant performance by Pepe and uh, just the positioning, clearances all night, uh, that, that body positioning on Chiesa to stop the goal, even though it went off the post just many blocks and clearances and just the kind of the, the shithousery to always win fouls and, and just be Pepe, you know, that was unreal. And a uh, shout out to Chiesa. He's a really good player. He had two goals in the match. And regardless of the result over a cup competition, I think we could all agree that this Juventus team in the Champions League at least was not going to win the competition. And I think a defensive Porto side might actually have a better chance of going deeper in the competition than Juventus. So I'm intrigued to see how that progresses. And then PSG Barcelona. Yeah, Barcelona did play really well. Dembele's finishing. If it was up to scratch and Messi scoring the penalty could have been a really intriguing second half. But unfortunately, uh, PSG also got a little bit of a soft penalty from Longley and Mbappe converted that. So that kind of finished the tie. It was It was a really good... Uh, first uh, kind of session of the second legs of Champions League games. Hopefully the second week uh, lives up to the action. Real Madrid, Atlanta, City, Gladbach, Chelsea, Atletico. Hopefully that one's better because that first leg was absolutely just god awful. And I watched the whole game with Jacob. That was shocking. And I think Bayern are going to go through clearly. So hopefully those are better because these ones were quite good and I wasn't expecting it. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, like like you said, like I was just really interested in uh, like seeing Porto go through, and um, just two things for me really. One, Erling Holland, this guy, this guy is twenty years old. He is he is Ivan Drago from Rocky Four, the Russian boxer. That's who he is. This guy is an absolute machine. Twenty years old, and that the disallowed goal. He just absolutely steamrolls. I think it's Fernando, the defender, who's like himself, like six two or six three, just steamrolls him, and then talks it away from like a really tight angle, and takes like taking the penalty again. The guy's an absolute machine. And uh, uh, in terms of Holland, Everton were apparently 
going to sign him. Remember, Jake, I told you about their former director of football, Steve Walsh, who spent $50 million on Gilfie Sigurdsson and $30 million on Balassi. He came out a little while, a couple of months ago, and said that he agreed that he agreed for Holland to sign for Everton for six million pounds. And he said, he said, and like you need to remember, his job is to sign the players, and he is given the resources to sign the players. And he said the club didn't back him in terms of signing Erling Holland for like six million pounds. So this guy, it's his own job to sign the players, and he said that the club didn't back him. So this guy completely, completely messed up because otherwise Erling Holland could have been playing for Everton. It's just an absolute shocker, and just watching every game that that guy plays, I just get so angry with the former management setup at my club. But then you wouldn't uh, have DCL. I will take Erling Holland over DCL, even though I love DCL. Look at this kid. The guy's an absolute monster. Like, um, he's like he's so fast and lanky. His arms just flail, and you can't stop him. It's he's an absolute powerhouse. But the other thing, uh, before we finish off here, just a question for you guys: Do you guys think because there's so much media attention on Messi and Ronaldo saying that they're like no longer like? the bat the best players is is what i've been seeing people saying that it is mbappe and erling holland starting right now personally i still disagree with that i genuinely don't think barcelona or juventus are good at all and especially in ronaldo's case i i don't see how people are saying ronaldo has fallen off as cristiano ronaldo do you like do people forget who this guy is the probably the most competitive athlete of all time and you bring him to win the champions league and you pair him with a coach who's never coached before that it bought it really bothers me like i obviously i i love ronaldo and messi but you can't put cristiano ronaldo in a juventus team with a coach who's never coached before and then say ronaldo has failed juventus and then for barcelona i just genuinely don't think that there's like I think they've got a lot of young, talented players, but overall as a setup, we all know Barcelona are in absolute shambles right now. And I just want quickly before we finish, do you guys think that uh, like Messi and Ronaldo, do you think that they are like no longer the best players in the world? I personally still think they're like miles clear and they're being let down by their respective clubs. Yeah, they're still on top for now. Obviously, it's not going to last like too much longer, but definitely still up there for now. Um, I think it's kind of a bit disrespectful that you mentioned Pirlo has no coaching record when he coached under 23s for one week, so give him a little bit of a break. He's got the experience that was needed. Um, but yeah, like like you mentioned, it's really the reason why Messi and Ronaldo aren't, I'm saying in brackets, like shining is because that just the clubs, like traditional clubs that they're at, they're kind of like especially in Juventus's case, they're more interested like in the commercial side now, which is obviously something we've seen with United, unfortunately, but just Juventus like changing the branding of the club and, and the kit and all that stuff. Like they really care about the money. So they haven't really put the amount of like detail necessary on the squad, which obviously will hurt the quality of any squad. And like you mentioned, just Barcelona in such a mess. And then uh, Holland and Mbappe at, at PSG and Dortmund, they're at like well-run clubs. Obviously we could say what we want about, who owns PSG, but they're a well-run club. I think we have to agree and just like modern and, and really just up to it with like so, sports science and, and that kind of stuff. So I think they're, they're really being let down like Messi and Ronaldo. They're still on top and they're just being let down by the clubs that they're at. Aiden, 
what do you think? Yeah, personally, I think uh, Messi is still the best player in the world for the next two years, probably. Um, just his all-around game and actually be able to create and score goals. I think Ronaldo's probably like the number one player that you want as like a fox in the box, a finisher right now. So I can't really see that like uh, sorry, Mbappe and Holland would be better in those aspects. Maybe they'll develop to be a level to bl- below those two, in my opinion. But I can't really see either of those players ever getting to the sort of creative standards of a Messi type of player, to be honest with you, and and being able to dribble past players and do the things that he was able to do in his, in his peak. But definitely... Uh, it's interesting because Barcelona, they're, they're, they're in a shambles as a club, but they're almost masking that with their season in a way. I think it's almost underrated because they're going to the Copa del Rey final and they're second in La Liga and they might be able to still win that. Um, and Koeman might be actually be pulling off a masterstroke. I let, just Jack. I know. I know. Don't it's say that. No, Don't I know it's that. tough to say, but I think that's a little bit underrated right now from Barcelona, and then Juventus. Yeah, very poor, very poor standards from Juventus. Uh, very old squad for most of their players, and the young players that they have just aren't at the level. Players like uh, Demi Rao. I was not convinced by him against Porto. He had a very bad first half and overall game. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that you can say right now that anyone's better than Messi. And that's, you guys know, I'm being honest. I just, yeah, I just wanted that confirmation before we close. Just, uh, I think like, I think most people would still say that Messi and Ronaldo are on top, but the media attention that it was getting was almost as if they've been displaced for now. And I still like, I'm watching these games. I'm still like, these two players are easily still the best. If you just put them in like, like some of the best teams they would dominate again, but I just really don't rate the the current situation that either of them are in. For example, if you subbed out Mbappe for Messi, just and they had the rest of the squad of PSG, do you still think they would have went through? Yes. Yeah, one hundred percent. Of course, yeah, they sure. yeah. Messi Messi just spraying the balls over the top. Like, geez. Yeah, it'd be insane. Or put Ronaldo, put Ronaldo instead of Erling Holland. Do you think that he would score the same number of goals? Probably. Probably, yeah. Just maybe a little there bit is. of hindrance running in behind at this age, but still, I think it would have been yeah. good. There we go. Yep. Just needed, just needed that confirmation. We will obviously will stay on top of the Champions League discussion and Premier League discussion. I think that is going to be all for this week. Uh, follow us on Twitter at OTL Soccer Pod. And I just want to say thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. Thank you. Bye.